Thank you for tuning in to the Crossover Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and grows your faith. To learn more about Crossover, visit our website at crossovernorman.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crossover Norman. Enjoy the message. How is everyone? Okay, awesome. Hey, is our worship band awesome or what? That girl up there is pretty, isn't she? That's my girlfriend. That's my rib. That's my wife. Well, is everyone passing college still? Come on now. Anybody need Jesus to make a miracle, all right? Golly. Now, it's been a little bit since I got to preach. It's been a couple weeks, so just be prepared to go an hour and a half tonight, okay? So here we go. Let's get started with joking. You know, at the end of the semester, it's always a little hard for me because um, I know for some of you, this might be the, the, you know, the last semester that we get to have you here at Crossover, and either because you're, you are some victory lappers, and we, we got any victory lappers or going to be victory lappers? Come on now. My daddy said, you got four years, anything over that, you pay for it. So like, I was cramming summer sessions and some, some Christmas sessions. I might have paid a couple of teachers to maybe cheat some grades, amen, hallelujah. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, amen. That's horrible, I didn't do that, right? I know for some of you, you're going to transfer, um, and either because of grades or because of finances, But this is my prayer, is that 10, 20, 30 years from now, is that you can look back at this time at the University of Oklahoma and say, you know what, I might not remember the name of that guy, I might not remember every song that we sang, but I did learn this, is that we all need Jesus. And we all should love Jesus. You know what? I learned something on that campus more than I've ever heard before then is that Jesus loved me and that he cares for me. And I hope that 20, 30 years from now, you continue to grow in that love. You continue to grow in the presence of Jesus. And I hope that you can look back at this time and, and see the need of Jesus and the love of Jesus in this place. And that's, that's, my, that's my prayer. That's my hope. That is my wish for this ministry. Now, to be able to say some of those things, we need to be able to talk about some hard things. I think that there's some scriptures that we can, uh, we can talk about. We can talk about John 3.16, which I hope all of y'all have memorized, all right? We can talk about those passages, and they're easy to get through, and we're able to talk about the love of Jesus and how he came and died for us. But I think that there are some passages in this text that I think that are actually a little harder for us to maybe to really wrap our heads around and for us to understand. I think tonight the passage that Jesus has led me to is maybe a little bit of a hard pill for some of us to swallow. But if we would just allow ourselves, students, to look at this scripture with the intent of Jesus in our life, I believe that we can turn our opinions around about this scripture, and I think it can transform our life into such a great way that we could not ever imagine. So if you would, we're going to look at James chapter 1. And as you said, as you saw maybe on Instagram, follow us on Instagram if you don't follow us, the title of the message tonight is Trials. 
So James chapter 1 says it this way. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let your patience have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Some of y'all's translations might say steadfastness. It might say endurance. We're going to get into that a little bit later on. But this is no small scripture for us to swallow. We're supposed to count it all joy when trials and strife and hard times come into our life. You know, we can be joyful about a lot of things in this world. We can be joyful when OU beats Texas, amen? Like that just brings instant joy, right? Because we can call up our Texas friends and be like, ha ha, y'all stink, right? Like, maybe I just do that, it's fine. We can be joyful when we get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, amen, right? Eh, right? Maybe. Some of you are like, I just wish I could get a boyfriend or girlfriend, amen? Guys, ask the girls out, all right? It's three to one, all right? Make it happen. I, you love Jesus, they love Jesus. Come on now, make it happen. Man up. I got your back, girls, all right? But if you don't love Jesus, don't go after our girls because they won't go for you, all right? Ooh. But let's get real for just a moment. We can be joyful about a lot of things, but I know that there are some of you right now, not even just some, I know that there are many of you right now that you're going through something. I know that you're going through something in your life that maybe you've even been dealing with for the past couple years. Maybe it's something that's happened in the past couple weeks. Maybe it's something that has happened today, but you're going through something, and it is is very hard for you to find joy in the midst of it. And students, I think if we can just change our perspective about trials, I think we can change our perspective about finding joy amongst the trials. If we could just change our perspective about about what we are going through right now, whether it be a physical or an emotional or a spiritual trial in our life, and we could just see it as Jesus sees it, we could start counting it joy rather than cursing at it. You tracking with me here? So if we could just kind of just kind of dive into this verse and we can kind of start breaking it down as, as, as we're looking at it in James chapter one, verse two. I think we need to look at the overarching, what's the main point of attack when we are counting in all joys, when you're meeting trials of various kinds, what is the one thing that is being attacked here? What is the main point of attack? It's not your hope. It's not your joy. It's not your pride. The main thing that it is attacking, the main thing that is being tested is your faith. See, faith is such a little word, but it has such significance. And what I love about faith is it's the devil's greatest annoyance. And what I love about it 
is that any time you step out on faith, any time that you walk by faith, any time that you enter into faith, what I love about it is it annoys the devil so much because it shows him a foresight of what his eternity is going to look like. It shows him that, it shows him his ending. It shows him that he doesn't matter. It shows him that Jesus wins. See, our faith is everything, students. If you want to work on anything, if you feel like you're trapped in anything, we got to work on our faith because what gives us our hope and what gives us our joy is our faith in Jesus. By our faith, we are saved, we are justified, we are brought near to God, and therefore we should not be surprised when our faith is the very thing that is going to be tried. What does our faith consist of? It's the simple fact of this, is that we believe that Jesus freed us from our sins. He died a miserable death. He rose on the third day to give us a life and give it more abundantly. And by our faith, through God's grace, we will receive eternal life. That is something that we should be excited about. Our faith is our everything. So when we look at books of the Bible like Job, we soon realize it wasn't his happiness that was being tested. It was his faith. When we look at Abraham and we see that he was asked to go crucify his son, we learn that it wasn't his happiness that was being tested. It was his faith. When we learn about Noah and him building an ark for a hundred years and they were saying that this great flood was going to come and there was never been a raindrop ever to fall from the sky from that point, we know it wasn't his happiness when people were spitting on him, making fun of him and cursing at him. It wasn't that that was being tested. It was his faith that was being tested. Every single one of them, it was their faith that was being tested tested. Everything that comes our way, every trial that we go through, every test that we have is to test one thing, students, and it is your faith. Don't you think that if, if it is impossible, impossible to please God without faith, don't you think that's going to be the very point of attack that's going to be attacked at. Now here's the truth. There's two things going on amongst a trial. There's someone that's trying to destroy your faith, and there's someone who's trying to strengthen your faith. See, the enemy in the book of Job, he tried all that he could to make Job lose his faith in his heavenly father. He killed his family. He killed his Pride, he took away his finances, he took away his respect, he took away his health, he gave him boils, he gave him just lesions on his body, he took away everything physically that he could take away from Job to try to destroy his faith. But Job got in some sackcloth, put ashes on his head, and he fell on his knees and he said, my God, he giveth and he taketh away. Do with me what you please. It was Job's faith in his God that made him survive one of the most unimaginable events that I could ever think of. 
Hopefully we don't ever have to be tested to that degree. Hopefully we don't ever go through something like that. And I think many of us, we think, well, how is our faith tested? See, the faith here in the book of James, it says that we're going to be tested by trials and meet trials of various kinds. I think that trials can come in all shapes and sizes. I can tell you this from the context, you learn something, that when your faith is going is tested, it's going to take you to a point where you're going to feel stuck. Now hear this, students. My faith has been, my faith being tested might look different than your faith being tested. Your faith being tested could be failing a test when my faith being tested could be failing a class. Your faith could be tested by your family shaming you and mocking you and making fun of you where mine is just not having a family at all. Your, your test might be some friends treating you like junk, making fun of you, maybe, maybe disowning you, maybe pushing you away, when some of us in here, our very test is that we don't have any friends at all. Your test could be that you're in constant depression and you just don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how to get out of that rut when someone else's could be that your girlfriend or your boyfriend just broke up with you. And if we take it even more serious, some people's tests could be, could be constant headaches or migraines when other of us could be deadly cancer or maybe brain tumors or something to that degree. Everybody's tests are going to be different. Now, can I just have a little Brent Russell side note here? Okay, I'm glad all y'all said Yes. I think it's important to really look at this test, not this text, because I want you to know that many of us look over this and we don't think about this. It is important that we see, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. Now, in the Greek context, it's my brothers and my sisters is how you can actually read this text. He's saying, count it all joy when you're facing trials of various kinds, my brothers and my sisters. And I think what he is doing is he's not making fun of trials. He's not saying that trials are a bad thing. He's actually not even coming at them at a judging light. He's coming at them in a comforting tone, saying, hey, you know what? Trials are going to come, and I'm going to help you through it. I want you, and I want to be able to help you where you're at. I want to be able to walk with you through it, because trials are going to come your way. This is what I have noticed, students, is that a lot of times we judge people's trials sometimes worse than we judge people's sins. And this is what I mean by that. Some of us might have gone through something five years ago that someone is going through now, and we might look at them like they are lesser of a, of a spiritual person. They are maybe less of a degree of a Christian. And so many times I've seen people not want to be around somebody because we're judging them for their trial because their trial is something that we've already grown, grown through. Now this is why I say this. Having the largest college ministry in Oklahoma, you better believe I have pastors come to me on the weekly saying, my church is dying. 
How do we grow into young, how do we grow young people into our church? How do we get younger families? How do we get college students? How do we do this and how do we do that? And this is the very thing that I say is killing the churches today. Is when we don't see people as brothers and sisters and we start scaling them on their spiritual maturity. We start looking at people for what they can do for us rather than what we can do to love them closer to Jesus. Students, don't wear those glasses, please. Let's break the tradition. Because biblically, if you read in Ephesians, the spiritually strong are supposed to help the spiritually weak. And you want to... And what I've noticed in my life, students, if I can just be real with you, what I've noticed in my life is when you encourage maybe someone that's an infant Christian, maybe someone who's maybe kind of floated kind of in the same way, and you start loving on them, and you start encouraging them, you know, you know what, you're going through this trial, man, I want to help you, I want to be able to bring you up. You know what happens so many times is you don't know when you're going to go through your next trial. And what I have noticed with my friends that I've encouraged that might not, that might be going through a trial I went through 10 years ago, what I've noticed is that maybe, just maybe, I might need somebody that wasn't tainted with the orthodox religion of these and nows, and maybe they just need to put their arm around my shoulder and say, man, quit thinking that way. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. He wants you to be the man of God that you need to be, and why don't you quit everything else. Maybe sometimes they just need to step into my life. They actually help me learn how to grow closer to Jesus because they always take it back to the basics. You want to know how to grow in your Christian walk? Always take it back to the, back to the basics, which is Jesus Christ. Students, for some of you, you feel like maybe I am the spiritually weak. Let me just kind of pour into you right now. It doesn't matter where you are at with your walk with students. If you have faith, you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, there isn't a spiritual scale. There is a saved scale. You are just as important as anybody else. You are just as loved as anybody else. You are just as eternally saved as anyone else because of Jesus. Now students, if we flip it and we can kind of look at our life for some of us who have been walking with Christ for a while, maybe we can look at our own life and look at it this way, is if our friends around us look like us, talk like us, are as spiritually wise as us, it's probably because we are spiritually scaling some people and we're not trying to build other people's faiths up. See, what I think that the church is supposed to look like is you are supposed to, God uses your faith to take someone else's faith to a place where God wants them. Don't judge someone's trial. Encourage them through it. All right, that's my soapbox. We good? Can we go back to preaching now, right? When tested, it's our faith that is tested. But here's a blessing. There's a blessing that is gained in our trial. I mean, there has to be a reason why we can count it all joy. Amen? There's got to be a reason why, why we can count these tests and trials as joy. 
See, a trial tests our faith in Jesus. But my question is this. How many of us trust our faith in Jesus to get through a trial? How do we know if our faith really works if we never use it? See, a trial makes you practice what you preach. We, a lot of us have a really good lip service, right? We know the words to say. We know how to say them. We know what the Bible says. We have a lot of lip service, but a trial makes you practice what you preach, amen? Three years ago, my father, who was 56 years old, went in for just a normal scan of He was kind of out of breath, and they looked at his heart, and five of his arteries were majorly clogged. Um, Two of them was birth attempt. Words are hard. Words are hard. But essentially, my dad had to have a quintuple bypass surgery at 56 years old. And I'll tell you what, when... When your dad says, hey, son, let's go have a conversation, it gets real. And he says, listen, here are some of the financial things that I would need you to take care of and kind of get everything moving. Here are some things that I would want you to help your mom with. I mean, it got real. My dad had the same conversation with me, had the same conversation with my my sister and was just saying, hey, I'm proud of you for being my son. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I want you to know that I love you and I care for you. And I tell you what, it got, it got, it got real. And my dad, um, at the very end, he had my mom come in, and he said his, his same thing to her. And he told me a story about when the nurse was taking him back into the surgery room. He told me, he goes, the nurse asked me, are you nervous? And my dad says, I, I don't know how you couldn't be nervous about all this. But he goes, I do want to say one thing. He goes, I'm going to go under for this surgery, and this is what might happen. He says that as soon as he said these words, he said that he, he just felt this peace. He says, when I go under the surgery and I wake up, I'm either going to wake up to my beautiful wife or I'm going to wake up to my heavenly father. And he says, and I have peace about that. And he says, as soon as he said it, he said he, he, he said he, this tears of joy came down in his eyes. He had this like holy hug of Jesus. Anybody have a holy hug moment, right? Aren't those awesome? He had the holy hug of Jesus and he could feel the presence of God like he has never felt before and it empowered him. And he knew without a shadow of doubt that no matter what happens to me, Jesus still wins. And he was excited about it. He said that day, whatever doubts he ever had in his faith, they were wiped away. Some of us here are still doubting our relationship with Jesus. This happens about your age, 16 to 24 a lot of us are like, do I really have a relationship with Jesus? And we've said the prayer a thousand times. Amen. Jesus, I ask you in my heart, all right? Am I saved? Okay, right? I joke, but it's true. Anybody said it more than once, all right? Okay, four of you, all right? You're definitely saved, the four of you. We've been to church, we've said the words, we've prayed. 
But at the end of the day, when you're alone and you're talking and you're just kind of thinking to yourself, you wonder, man, do I really have that relationship with Jesus? Students, let me tell you something about trials. A trial, when it hits you, is always going to be a big deal in your life might not be a big deal in everybody else's life, but it's gonna be a big deal in your life, and it's gonna take you to a point where you feel stuck. And when you feel stuck, your faith is going to be tested. And when your faith is tested, some of us are gonna wonder about our relationship with Jesus, and this is where I want you to lean into it a little bit, students. When you get to that place, I want you, I wanna, I wanna, I want you to ask, all right, it's time for me to practice what I preach. And I want you to look at your Father in heaven and say, Lord, I know this might be trivial, or Lord, I know this is huge in my life. But I know this is that you are the Savior and the sustainer of this whole world. You hold this world in your hands. You make everything move. You make everything grow. Lord, you came and you saved me. And you know what? You promised this, that you, gave, that you, you come to give me life and give it more abundantly and that you work all things good for those that love you. Lord, I love you. I want to grow in you. Lord, give me ways. Give me visions. Give me directions. Give me dreams on how to get out of this test in this life. Lord, just help me get through this, Lord. I trust you, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to lay it down, and then I want you to listen. Because what happens when you give your problems and your trials to God? Jesus says, I got this. And he starts giving you direction. He starts giving you motive. He starts giving you drive on maybe this is where you need to go. Maybe this is the direction that you need to take. And this is what happens when you start feeling that holy hug, when you start walking with Jesus daily in the midst of your trials, is that it removes any doubt that, that you have a relationship with him or not. Maybe some of us in here, we've wondered, and maybe we've kind of, we, we don't really know if we have a relationship. It's because you never use your faith and trust in Jesus to get you through anything else. Some of you are stuck in your faith, and it's being, you're stuck in a trial, and your faith is being tested. I say lean in. It's time for you to rely on Jesus. And guess what happens when you do this is that he removes that doubt from you. Some of us, we need that doubt to be removed from us because it's something that's in the back of our mind. See, trials aren't meant to tear our faith down. It's meant to enhance our faith because trials are meant to show us where our weaknesses are and it shows where his strengths are because he must increase and we must decrease. Students, listen. I want you to be very, very listening. If that's a word, you're welcome. Doubt to, doubt to me is worse than a trial. I would rather suffer any affliction than be able to left to question the gospel or my own interest in it. Some of us are suffering because we have never reached out and let Jesus take us through a trial I'm telling you, it is worth it. Do it. But I think that there's another blessing that the Bible specifically talks about that many of us overlook, and it's that of patience. 
I think some of the writers have said steadfastness. Some of them say endurance. Some of, us, some of them say different things. But I, I really like the word patience. But trials have definitely made me more patient in my life. See, what I like, what he says, is to count it, uh, count it uh, uh, all joy. When you count something, it means that you need to be accountants of your life. To be a good accountant and have uh, good books and to keep good book records, you need to keep your finances in order. You need to keep your accounts in the positive And when we count trials joy in our life, you count them in the positive side because they bring more positive in your life than they do negative. They fill your spiritual bank. They don't deplete it. And when you count it joy is when trials grow your patience and when patience grows, your faith grows. See, patience is something that is grown. It's not something that you are given. See, patience doesn't grow when things are going good, right? When things are going right, you right? Just put me in my truck on I-35 during rush hour traffic. Oklahomans, I love everything about Oklahoma, except they are horrible drivers because there will be three people on one, two, three uh, of, of the intersections going 65 miles an hour on a 75 mile an hour highway. And it drives me up the wall. And yes, your boy will flash the lights. I will not flash any fingers because I'm, I'm somewhat holy in my truck, but I will get an inch behind your bumper, right? Yes, I'm that person, and yes, I do not have a cross on my truck for a reason, right? (laughs) What type of patience is being produced by our trials? Maybe we are going through depression, failure, loneliness, disappointment, and this is what a trial is supposed to produce, is how well are we fully submitting to God? When we are going through a trial in our life, our patience is to grow in fully submitting to God because he is trying our faith and showing us where our faith is and how much more we need to submit to him. We have to learn to trust him over ourselves. You know, when becoming a parent, one of the hardest things about being a parent is sleep training, all right? My wife's gonna say, amen, right? Just like that. I sound just like her, all right? Because sleep training is pretty hard because what ends up happening is at the end of the day, you just need to leave them in there and you just gotta let them cry. And it'll happen, I'm talking when they cry, it starts out like level four, and then about 30 minutes into it, it goes to like a level 40, right? And it literally sounds like they're gonna blow their voice box out. I mean, it is intense. It sounds like, like someone is scratching their face. That's how hard that they are crying. And you as a parent, you're just like, oh man, I wanna go help them. I wanna, and it's just like, but I mean, they really feel like they are just in torture because you are not walking in there every two hours and, and cradling them and, and comforting them. And my goodness, it's just like, I mean, it, the extremeness of their voices is just unbelievable. 
my wife can't, she has to, she has to go sleep in a hotel because she, sleep training is hard on her. She got those mama jeans. I just roll over and go to sleep. But I mean, <laughs> it's an experience. <clears throat> but see, they're upset. And the reason why they're upset is because they think that they have control. They think that the mama and daddy should go in and they should comfort the baby the way that the baby thinks that they need to be comforted. See, but what the parents are doing is that they are showing them that they are not in control and that there is nothing wrong with them and they know what is best for the baby because 10 hours of un of uninterrupted sleep is way greater than every two hours being comforted by their parents. See, trials to me, when I was looking at this, it shows me that we need to be patient and we need to surrender under the trust of our Father in heaven whose plans for our lives are greater and they're better than our own plans for our life. Because at the end of the day, his plan is not to destroy us, it's to enable our faith to grow more in him and to glorify him in all that we do and say and trust. So here are a couple ways in patience as a, that we can grow in submission unto him. I think there's two types of patience that we can I really reflect on. First is our patience to overcome haters. Anybody got some haters in your life? Come on now. Don't be bumping your neighbor, all right? You need Jesus, right? <laughs> how you treat people is a reflection of how well you are submitting under God. I truly believe if you are patient with people, not just in general, but people who are coming at you, people who disagree with you, maybe even people who mock you and a lot of times just downright disrespect you, how you behave around them reflects who is God and who isn't God in your life. Because what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart. Your flesh is telling you to destroy them, hate them, curse them, battle them, argue with them. But what does your faith tell you? Be patient with them. Love them. Even if they don't love you. You act out of love because your worth isn't found in people, but your worth is found in Jesus who purchased your life. And he wants to help grow you in your faith. He wants to grow you in your walk. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus is using people as a trial in your life right now. And you need to learn how to be patient. And maybe some of us, we are afraid to say anything because we don't want to take anything the wrong way. And maybe some of us, maybe uh, we think that it's a weakness for not saying, th saying anything. I think it's a strength that for you not to say anything because you're waiting on Jesus' counsel to give you the right words to say. I say that as spiritual strength, not spiritual weakness. And I think lastly, we have patience. We gotta learn patience under the mountain. You wanna know the greatest way the devil can bury me is to make me feel like I have a million things to do and no time to do it. Am I talking to a college student right now? Work, school, building a resume, a job, getting healthy, 
You see all these things you need to get done, but you're too overwhelmed and you feel that mountain on top of you. What if we turn it spiritual? I think this really gets to me when we turn it spiritually because we're like, man, I really want to be in a place spiritually where I'm not at. I want to have a prayer life where I, that I don't have. I want to grow spiritually. I want to preach this certain way. I want to be able to discern this certain way. I want to be able to read all this and know all this and have all this. And Jesus, I want it right now. I need it right now. And you start getting worked up, but then you just feel this mountain of pressure all around you and you just feel like a failure. But I want you to know something about when you submit under God, under pressure. We serve a God that is not a God of chaos, not a God of worry. He does not stress. He does not complain. He always has peace. He always has joy. And if we are trusting him, he will take care of you. And so many times when I have been stressed and worried under the mountain, I've been so worried about getting where I needed to go that I couldn't enjoy where I was simply at. Students, we are so worried about our future, you can't enjoy where you are at right now. Your trial that you need to learn right now is trust. All of us want the answers right now, this moment. We want to be the person that we need to be right now. But if we had all the answers, we wouldn't need Jesus. Maybe Jesus is saying, let's remove the mountain of pressure in the future and let's focus on the day because I got you. Students, as we wrap up tonight, Trials are going to come, and they're going to expose our weaknesses, and they're going to show us where we're not submitting unto God, and I think we need to turn those into his strength and let him take over. But I, I wanted to tell you that one of my favorite illustrations right now, and it's something that I've talked about before, is something that what happened to me in seminary is that I was actually in a down and dark place and I was struggling, I couldn't feel like I, I was trapped, I couldn't get out of it. And I only had, I, I had the worst TV imaginable, like 1974 box TV, all right? And it had a Tari like sticker from 1992 on it. But um, I didn't have cable, I didn't have anything. All I had was the four channels that the satellite gave me. And it was like two o'clock in the morning and we had four channels and one of the channels was talking about mining silver. That's what I was watching at 2 o'clock in the morning. And when it was talking about mining silver, it showed the process of, of taking, taking the silver, and then they'd put it in a little metal cup, and then they would put it over the fire, and they would melt that silver until it came liquid form. And what it was doing in that liquid form, it was actually burning all the infirmities and all the, all the nastiness out of it, and then they would pull it away. And I started thinking, maybe just maybe the trial that God is putting me in right now is for me to be boiled in such a way where God is exposing the infirmities in my life and he wants me to surrender and wipe away those infirmities so that he can, so I can start walking like him and talking like him. And then this is the last thing that they did to see that the silver was finished is that they looked down at the silver and if the, if the silver miner could see a perfect reflection 
of himself, then he knew that the silver was complete and that they could take it off of the fire. See, when Jesus is putting us through a trial, he wants to wipe away all the infirmities and then he wants to look at us and when he looks at us, he wants to see a perfect reflection of himself. So students, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I beg you, if you're going through a trial, give it to Jesus and let Jesus show you what you need to wipe away and how much more you need to be like him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done. Lord, thank you for giving us a gospel that we can look at and we can talk about the hard things. And one of the hard things are struggles in our life. Maybe some of us right now, we are in a struggle and we don't know how to get out of it. Maybe we have some friendships going on. Maybe we have a relationship that is going bad. I don't know exactly what our struggle is. Maybe we're having health issues. But Lord, this is what I ask and this is what I pray is that these students will rise up. They will be a generation that gives their all to Jesus, that they will be able to say, no matter what happens, Lord, I know that you're gonna take care of it. And Lord, I wanna give you my life and I wanna be able to listen to what you say. I wanna walk with you daily. I wanna have courage and I want you to build into my faith because when my faith is built, my patience is built. And when my patience is built, then I won't lack any anything because I have you in my weakness is your strength. Lord, as we just continue on worshiping, I ask for these students maybe to come down to the front here and they can pray with our prayer team. We got some prayer team in the middle of the back and I just ask them to be able to say, you know what, I need to give this to Jesus and I want to be able tonight to surrender my all to Jesus and to grow with him. So Lord, just be with them. Let us worship these last couple songs and give you all glory, all honor, all praise. Lord, be with us. Amen. If you would stand up, let's worship.